want to invite you to give your attention to the reading of God's Word from the book of Proverbs. A reading from the book of Proverbs, chapter 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity. To give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtains guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Chapter 3, verse 13. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom, and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver, and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand, in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold on her. To those who hold her fast are called blessed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. God, we come to you this morning and we pray that you would send your spirit to tend to your word, that it might reach our hearts. And we ask that no matter where we're coming from, what we're carrying into this room today, that you would meet with us and you would change us and you would make us wise. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, This morning, uh, we're beginning a new series uh, that we're going to do all the way up until the season of Lent. And this series we are calling The Way of Wisdom. And uh, I'm guessing that no matter who you are, no matter what your background, uh, whether you're a Christian or not yet a Christian, at some point in your life, you have felt the need for wisdom. Because life is complicated and often very hard. And everybody knows that foolishness can lead to great disaster. And we need wisdom everywhere. We need wisdom in our parenting. There's probably nothing that can bring you to your knees faster uh, than trying to figure out what to do with these little ones who've been entrusted to you. And as they grow, you realize it only gets harder. We need wisdom in our friendships. How easy it is to get sideways or to misunderstand or to hurt one another. And how to heal that and work through that. We need wisdom in dating. We need wisdom with our startups. We need wisdom in our job search. We need wisdom as managers. We need wisdom to lead. We need wisdom to love. We need wisdom to know how to care for the poor. And the book of Proverbs, which we're going to be looking at for the next seven weeks, is a book about wisdom. And it's interesting because the first nine chapters of Proverbs aren't Proverbs. They're speeches. And they're one long sustained exhortation to get wisdom. It's designed to make you love wisdom. And to grow you in wisdom. And of course, Proverbs isn't the only book in the Bible that's about wisdom. Uh, Ecclesiastes, for example, is another one. And uh, often it's helpful to compare the two uh, because they're very different. Ecclesiastes rubs your face in the emptiness of pleasure and power and fame and success and the inevitable frustrations of life in a fallen world. 
And it says you cannot avoid these. You cannot escape these frustrations. You can't outwit them. They will get you eventually. And worldly wisdom, the wisdom of the scholar or the expert or the guru or the savant, will only take you so far. But Ecclesiastes ended on a hopeful note. That even in the midst of the unavoidable frustration and madness and folly and heartbreak of life in a fallen world, you can not only survive, you can thrive if you learn to fear God and keep his commandments. And Proverbs begins where Ecclesiastes ends, with the fear of the Lord. Now I want to talk a little bit about the book of Proverbs, and this is always hard when I'm always asked to do the introductory sermon because there's so much to say to prepare us, but I'm going to try to break this down uh, in a few ways that will hopefully get us ready uh, for listening to the book of Proverbs well. And, 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 And one of the reasons why I think it's important to do this is Proverbs is one of those books that's often misused and abused. And this is what I mean by that. Many of us look at the book of Proverbs like it's the Bible for dummies. You know those books for dummies? You know, the, 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 that, that uh, great uh, genre of literature? And a lot of us look at Proverbs like that. We don't really understand the bizarre rituals of Leviticus, right? The visions of Revelation, right? It's kind of wild and woolly. And frankly, we're pretty bored with the genealogies of Chronicles and Genesis even. But Proverbs, now we're talking. It's practical. Just give me the principles for making life work for me, and I'll go put them into practice. But here's the thing you have to understand about Proverbs. Proverbs are the multivitamins of the Bible. They're nutritionally dense, but they're there to be supplemental. If you take them in place of eating meals, you malnourish yourself. And this is why a thriving spiritual life cannot be sustained on the book of Proverbs all alone. And that's not to denigrate in any way their integrity as part of God's word, but they were never meant to stand all by themselves. They are part of Israel's history, which means they belong to God's people and they belong to the story of God with his people. And that's a story that ultimately leads to Jesus Christ, the incarnation of God's wisdom. You know, you can find a lot of similar sounding and even identical sayings, as you find in the book of Proverbs, in ancient Near Eastern literature. But it's their placement within the larger story of the Bible that shapes and reshapes them for God's people. We can't ignore that context, and we hope not to do that throughout this series. But here's another challenging thing about the book of Proverbs. Often Proverbs can feel very confusing and maybe even contradictory. When I was in uh, seminary, one of my professors uh, made us try to outline the book of Proverbs. And we had a little bit of hope when we were working our way through the first nine chapters. Some of us were feeling pretty good about ourselves. But after that, we all went fetal position, thumb in mouth, in despair. Once you move past chapter nine, realizing there's no good way to outline the rest of the book. One moment you have a proverb about wealth, the next a proverb about patience. Right after that, you have something about sex, and then the very next proverb is about laziness. And, and, and what you realize is this professor was trying to make a point. Proverbs, after chapter 9, comes at you just like life, unexpectedly. 
Think about it. You wake up in the morning and you say, I'm really going to try to work on not being fearful today. But what you discover pretty quickly is what you need to be working on is not being hateful to all those horrible people who are ruining your day. You never know what the day has in store for you, just like you never know what proverb is going to come next. And here's something else that's difficult is that sometimes it seems like the proverbs right next to each other contradict themselves. So there's a famous one in chapter 26, verses 4 and 5, and it goes like this. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. Don't answer a fool according to his folly. What's the next proverb? Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Do not answer a fool according to his folly. Answer a fool according to his folly. Which is it? Well, that depends. Sometimes you need to do the one, other times the other. And it actually takes wisdom to know which gets the green light. This is why you can't read Proverbs like it's just an instruction manual or a how-to book. It's only by taking in the whole, in the context of the whole story, that you actually become wise enough to know when it's the right time for any one of these to do its work in your life. And here's the, the, the big idea, and I want you to hold on to this through the whole series. God is far more interested in making you wise than he is in telling you exactly what to do in every situation that you find yourself in. The book of Proverbs is proof of that. All right, so this morning we begin a journey of growing in wisdom. And I have three questions about wisdom I want us to ask. And those questions are, what is it? Why is it so important? And how do we get it? And these are my introductory answers from Proverbs chapter 1 and Proverbs chapter 3. Wisdom is the ability to navigate life well. Or to say it another way, it is skill in the art of godly living. Wisdom is supremely valuable because it enables you to flourish no matter what. No matter what the conditions, no matter what the circumstances. And wisdom, this is how we get it, begins with the fear of the Lord. So that's where we're going this morning. So let's, let's start first with this, what is wisdom? Well, wisdom is the ability to navigate life well or the, its skill in the art of godly living. Now, there's a whole lot crammed into that statement that I hope we can unpack a little bit. And a whole lot hangs on what we mean by well. But we've got to start somewhere. So let's, let's begin with two foundational assumptions. The first is life is a treacherous journey. The world is broken, it's twisted, it's full of frustrations and complexities, and those can overwhelm you at times. No one is immune from that. If you don't have navigational skill or savvy, you're going to get pummeled and thrashed to bits. But the second assumption is this, wisdom is God's gift to help us navigate life well. And navigating life well is all about learning to live in his world, broken and twisted as it may be because of sin, according to his word and will. And that's not just about applying commands. It's about growing into the type of person who loves what he loves, who cares about what he cares about, and has the skill to improvise in all the gray areas and the complex situations that life throws at you. 
The person who navigates life well in the Bible is called wise. Now let's, let's talk about some of that skill set of navigating life well. Because in the prologue to the book of Proverbs, we see that wisdom is multifaceted. Uh, we aren't given a definition of wisdom right off the bat. But we're given a cluster of words that describe for us what wisdom is all about. We'll call these wisdom's colleagues. Right? Insight, instruction and in righteousness, justice and equity, prudence, discretion. I mean, this, this opening to the book of Proverbs, it's like God's big advertising campaign for what wisdom is. And it's this skill in navigating life. And I, w- I want to spend just a few moments reflecting on a few of these words. And, 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 and first, let's look at this word instruction found in verse 2. Growing in wisdom involves discipline. And that word in, in Hebrew that is translated here in English as instruction, it's, it's a dynamic word. That involves training. It's like you don't get this overnight. You've got to be trained in it. And it tells us that wisdom is something that is hard won. It comes to the dedicated. People who put themselves under its training regiment. Like an athlete. Right? You, don't, you don't go just do a triathlon without training. Or you shouldn't. Or, or if, if you can, that's pretty amazing. right? You train for it. And likewise, gaining wisdom is serious business. Learning to navigate life well involves putting yourself under the authority of God's word and its instruction. And learning from others who do the same. Okay, that's the, the first little word reflection. Wisdom also involves discernment. Also in verse 2, we have uh, the Hebrew word that is translated understanding or insight. And this gets at the ability to make fine distinctions. The the ability to notice the small things that actually make a big difference. See, a a wise person knows the difference between tolerance and forgiveness. She sees the difference between sentimentality and real compassion. Learning to navigate life well involves the skill to pick up on things and get to the bottom of things. Sometimes very quickly. And we can add to this that growing in wisdom also includes growing in what we might call ethical savvy. If you look at verse 3, it talks about instruction and wise dealing. And it's married to righteousness, justice, and equity. A wise person is able to see what is good and right and fair. These are ethical qualities which make godly wisdom different from simple savvy in human affairs. It's more than that. Learning to navigate life well involves the ability to use your insight for good, not for selfish gain. And then we're going to go on and look at the next word in verse 4, which is prudence. And I'm going to call this cool-headedness. Why do I say that? Because prudence... Is that skill to be able to carefully consider a a situation before thoughtlessly rushing in and just acting hastily? Prudence acts thoughtfully and carefully, which means you don't lose your cool or your senses. Now, ask yourself, like, do you tend to just melt down in a crisis? Then you may lack this. 
Learning to navigate well involves a kind of steadiness and stability, a patience even, that keeps you from making messes worse and self-sabotaging in a crisis. And the next word, discretion, also in verse 4, seems to deepen that sense that you're not easily fooled or manipulated by clever arguments or even by your own raging emotions. That's wisdom. And then finally, maybe most importantly, humility. In verse 5, we hear that the wise hear and increase in learning. Wise people are not know-it-alls. They listen and learn. They don't pretend to be the expert in every conversation or situation. In fact, uh, always thinking you're the expert is one of the characteristics of a fool in the book of Proverbs. But most importantly, the wise listen to and learn from God's word and from others who know God's word. They let his word instruct them, correct them, show them where, where they're wrong and when they're wrong because they know That learning to navigate life well involves having a humility to listen. Now, this leads to two observations about wisdom that I think are vital to understand. Wisdom is more than intellectual. Bad news for Silicon Valley, but you can be really, 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 really smart and be a fool. You can have a ton of intellectual wattage. And not be wise at all. And that's so important in a culture like ours, which prizes intelligence so much. And in fact, our whole education system is built on measuring and increasing our intellectual wattage. But, you know, over the last 20, 30 years or so, you have researchers coming out to talk about, you know what, like IQ maybe isn't as important as we thought. And now we're talking about what? EQ, right? In 1995, Daniel Goleman wrote the the book called Emotional Quotient, you've probably heard of it, which argued that it wasn't IQ, which measures logical skill and factual recollection, but it was EQ, which measures self-control and initiative and persistence and patience and steadiness. That is what is correlated with success. Wisdom is much closer to EQ than it is IQ, but even EQ is not enough. And you want to know why? Because you can be really good at reading a room and use it for selfish ends. And that is not wisdom, according to the Bible. But wisdom is more than intellectual. It's more than downloading information into your head. It's about becoming a type of person. And here's the second uh, thing I want to, to highlight, is that wisdom is about more than knowing the rules. See, in the vast majority of the decisions we have to make in life, the rules don't spell out exactly what we're supposed to do. And this is a source of enormous frustration to many of us, right? What major should I choose? Who should I date? Which job should I take? Where should I devote my time? Should I be roommates with that person? And many of us are frustrated with the Bible because we're looking in every instance for a rule that will tell us exactly what to do. And when we don't find it, you know what we start doing? We start looking to, to signs from God. Because of this insatiable craving. Like, just tell me exactly what choice I'm supposed to make. And most of us end up very frustrated with him. But God gives us his word, not just to tell us what to do in every situation, but to form and shape our character so that we become wise. 
And sometimes you can actually know the right thing to do, the rule, and you can make an absolute mess of things. I don't know how many of you remember this, but in the late uh, 1950s, there was an outbreak of malaria in the northern uh, states of the island of Borneo. And so the World Health Organization decided to intervene. It was the right thing to do. I mean, this is like killing people. So what they did was they sprayed DDT and other insecticides to kill the mosquito vector and wipe out malaria there. And during this campaign, DDT was sprayed in large amounts uh, inside the walls of the the long, large longhouses that made up the village, and they sprayed it on the ceilings. And you know what happened? Malaria fell drastically in that region. But you know what else happened? It killed all the wasps who ate the moth caterpillars. And now the moth caterpillars began to eat the thatched roofs of all the houses, causing flooding and other things. And you know what else? The domestic cats in Borneo began rubbing up against the walls and then licking their fur, and they all died, causing an invasion of rats, which brought typhus and the plague into Borneo. And so the Royal Air Force had to actually parachute domestic cats into Borneo to eat all the rats to try to get rid of all the plague and the typhus. So here we have a situation when knowing the rule, like we should help out here, but not being wise led to an unbelievable mess. Wisdom is about more than knowing right and wrong. It's more than intellectual. It's competency regarding the complex realities of life. It's growing in the skill of living in God's world according to God's word and the ability to navigate life well. So here's how the book of Proverbs starts with an appeal to get wisdom, which includes discipline and discernment and ethical savvy and cool headedness and humility because you're going to need them to navigate life well. But if you get wisdom, you will be able to flourish no matter what. And that's the second thing I want to look at. Wisdom enables you to flourish no matter what. If you flip over to chapter 3, verses 13 through 18, which is the second passage printed for you, we get a poetic tribute to wisdom's value. And these are the words of Solomon, by the way, who had loads and loads of gold and silver and jewels. And he says, wisdom is better than silver and gold. It's worth more than precious jewels. It will make you richer than money ever will. It will bring you honor far greater than fame. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Nothing? Really? Now think about this for a second. Um, We know these situations where you have a kid in a family who has a trust fund. And say that trust fund is worth $10 million. A considerable amount of money. And that money will become available to them when they turn 25. Okay, you're like, sweet. $10 million when I turn 25 years old. But you know two things about this individual. One is, they're easily swayed in the moment by their friends. And the second is, they hate taking advice. How do you think that's going to go? You're like, it's $10 million. And I'm like, have you paid attention to these stories? (laughs) This is what Solomon is saying You don't understand that without wisdom, 
the wheels are going to come off. No matter how much money you have, no matter how much success you have, no matter how much fame and honor you have acquired, wisdom is what you need in order to do life well. And one of the reasons why you need it is because wisdom gives you the skill to flourish no matter what. Only the smallest fraction of people in the world are able to get their circumstances somewhere near where they want them to be. But no one is able to keep them there. It's just a matter of time before you lose a loved one or a job or a friend or your marriage implodes or your kids rebel or you get the cancer diagnosis. And I'm not being cynical here. But you just can't avoid the frustrations of life. But what wisdom does is enables you to flourish no matter what circumstances you find yourself in. Right? We all know people who've had enormous amounts of talent and intelligence and personality and social savvy and money. And they've made an absolute mess of things. And we know other people who might be less talented, less gifted, less intelligent, less personality, less potential. But somehow seem to be flourishing. Solomon says the difference is wisdom. That's why wisdom is better than everything else. I want you to think about something that you really, really desire. You want your startup to get fully funded. You want your hard work to get widely recognized and rewarded. You want tenure. You want to be loved. You want a happy family with beautiful spouse and 2.5 kids. You want to make the world a better place. You want what you want because you think that by having it, you will be blessed. Solomon says... Blessed is the one who finds wisdom. That's verse 13. And those who hold her fast are called blessed. That's verse 18. Nothing you desire can compare with her. And then he drops this little line that wisdom is a tree of life. That's an echo of Eden. The tree of life that was in the garden. Which is signaling that wisdom taps into that original design God had for his good world. And our full and rich flourishing. It's just that now it has to take into account the fall and all the brokenness it brings. So how do we get that? And here's the last thing. Wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. You know, that's repeated several times in the book of Proverbs. It's here in chapter 1, verse 7. It's in chapter 9, verse 10. It's in chapter 15, verse 33. And, you know, honestly, it can sound a little confusing. Why would fearing God be the beginning of wisdom? And I think part of the confusion comes from understanding what the Bible means by fear in this context. Because there's a type of fear that drives you away because you're terrified of what someone might do to you. Or of what might happen to you. We're talking about like fear of strangers, fear of heights, fear of snakes. For some of you, fear of public speaking, right? Stay away, right? That's terrifying. And then there's the type of fear that draws you in. Because you're in awe. And you revere what you're beholding. It's no less unsettling. But it's very different. You know, you all know that... uh, most of you know that I'm like a diehard, rabid Tennessee Vols football fan. And I uh, have been all my life. 
And uh, great year this year, 11 and 2, by the way. We're coming back. Um, But when I was six years old, I had a neighbor who worked for the athletic department at the University of Tennessee. And he brought me into the locker room after a Tennessee game to meet my hero, Willie Galt. Willie Galt didn't have a great professional career, but was widely regarded as one of the fastest players to ever play the game of football. At 50 years old, he ran a 4-4-40, right? I mean, that's flying, right? 50 years old. Anyways, I'm in the Tennessee locker room, and there's Willie Galt. And you know what happened? I almost wet myself. (laughs) I was sweating. You know, I was trembling. My mouth was just hanging open, and I couldn't say a word. But I drew near because it's Willie Galt. And Willie Galt looked up to me and said, hey, little man, how about some elbow pads? And threw me the elbow pads that he played with. And you know what I did? I wore them for a year without washing them. (laughs) Much to the chagrin of my family and the scent that my friends experienced. But I was in awe of the greatness of Willie Galt. And and, and here's what I want you to, to understand. The fear of the Lord is a life rearranging, joyful awe and wonder before the greatness of who God is and what he's done. The command to fear God shows up 235 times in the Old Testament. And it shows up 43 times in the New. It's the response required of Israel after they were rescued from Egypt. You can read about that in Deuteronomy 6. It's coupled with love and humble devotion. Deuteronomy chapter 10. It's married to forgiveness. In Psalm 130, verse 4, it says, With you there is forgiveness, therefore you are feared. And the early church, we are told, spread, walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Proverbs 14, 27 says, The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. Mary, the mother of Jesus, sang in the Magnificat that God's mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. And fearing God was at the heart of what was required in the covenant that God made with Israel. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12. Hear these words. And now, O Israel, what does the Lord ask of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Do you know what was going down at that moment? God was saying this. I love you, I am for you, I have rescued you. I want you to make me the central feature of your life. See, fearing him means seeing him for who he is and your absolute dependence upon him and your need for his grace. It means being so overwhelmed with his greatness and glory that you can't help but stand in awe of him. It means that he and he alone becomes the most central thing in your life. Now, I know some of you might be saying, if the fear of the Lord is so central, why is God always telling us, do not fear? And you know why that is? Because the fear of the Lord is what drives out other fears. We are deeply afraid, people. Look around. Look inside. We are overwhelmed by fears. But it is the fear of the Lord that puts all other fears in their place. This is where wisdom begins. God is the most central feature of your life. 
And the reason is, is because wisdom is relational. It's covenantal. It grows in you and in me by being rightly related to God. If you want to be wise, you got to know this God and love this God and know that this God loves you. Have you ever considered that maybe it's because we don't fear him that he seems to make so little difference in our lives? Some of us say sometimes, you know, I've tried the God thing. It doesn't really work for me. To which our response should be, tried him? Is he like a pair of pants that you put on, you know? Is he like some face cream? Like, let's see how this this goes. See a technique you use to see if you get the results you want? No, God is not the conclusion to an argument or an accessory to help us get something else. He is the beginning to all right thinking and living. Which means you can have a good deal of savvy and abundance of street smarts, a whole lot of practical know-how without beginning with God. But what you don't have is wisdom. You have pseudo-wisdom because God is the center of the universe. And if you don't begin with him, you're off on the wrong foot. Now, some of us say, hold on, hold on a second. I mean, this this just sounds kind of crazy. If God isn't really there, then you're engaging in a fantasy to which Solomon would respond. But if God is really there, to start anywhere else is madness. Everybody's got a faith view of reality. Proverbs says if you want to be wise, it starts with God. Now you might be asking, why should I trust this God? And this is why the story in which Proverbs is placed is all important. Because it is a story that that leads to one destination. And that is to Jesus. In Jesus, wisdom put on flesh. You know, it's fascinating when you begin to reflect on the ministry of Jesus with the theme of wisdom in mind. And you read the Gospels, what what you find is they're always highlighting this. You see his wisdom in the parables that he tells and how he refutes the religious leaders who are trying to trap him. We're told that even as a boy, he displayed astounding wisdom in Luke chapter 2. But the Gospel writers tell us so much more. That Jesus says things like this. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 through 27. And this this is really relevant given the floods that we've just had. I know some of your homes have been overrun with this. This is what Jesus said. Everyone who hears these words of mine, the Sermon on Mount, he just said, and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Do you see what Jesus just did? He made the difference between wisdom and foolishness. Pivot on how we respond to him. And that's why he said to the religious leaders of his day, the queens of the earth came to hear from Solomon, but something greater than Solomon is here. The New Testament authors go further. In Colossians chapter 2, Paul writes, in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Not most, all the treasures 
of wisdom and knowledge. And what this is adding up to is this. Wisdom isn't ultimately found in a program. It's found in a person. The Lord Jesus Christ. And when he showed up, what we found is that he went to a cross. And Paul said, that looked like foolishness to the world. But it is the wisdom of God. And in fact... Christ Jesus becomes our wisdom, our righteousness, and our sanctification and redemption. You know, we all want to make life work for us. And so we think, I need wisdom to make life work for me. But when wisdom put on flesh, we see it going to work for us, giving its life away. Why? So you and I could flourish. That's why he's worth trusting. Because you know what the sufferings and the death of Jesus say to to us? They say what Yahweh said to Israel. I love you. I am for you. I have rescued you. Now make me the central reality of your life. You know, when I was a young pastor, um, just starting out as a campus minister at Stanford University, I went to summer training. And at summer training, um, you get all these older campus ministers who are trying to like, tell you what to do on campus in order to have a fruitful ministry. And we were all one, out one night at a pub, and they're just prattling on. And honestly, like, it was overwhelming. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how I'm going to do you know, the next year. I just finished my first year. And uh, they're like, you need to do this, you need to do that, you need to do that. And I'm like, ah! And then this older pastor who had been a campus minister years ago spoke up, and he said, hey, 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 hey. Everybody listen up for a second. He's like, all you first-year and second-year campus ministers, I want you to remember one thing. What your students need to see more than anything else is a campus minister who believes God loves him. And I've never forgotten that. It has been a ballast in my ministry. It has been a ballast in my life in many tumultuous seasons because this is what I've come to discover. If you don't know that God loves you, you will never be wise. In fact, you will act like a fool because the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. That life rearranging, joyful awe and wonder before the greatness of who God is and how he has loved you. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it makes wise the simple. Uh, It gives discretion to the young. Uh, It is a ballast for our souls because... In your word and through your word, you reveal yourself to us. So God, would you be at work in our lives through your word to make us wise? That we would find in Jesus our wisdom and our righteousness and our sanctification and our redemption. And that he would be the central feature of our lives. Lord, do whatever it takes so that we might navigate life well. That we might flourish no matter what. But most importantly, that we might know you and know that you love us. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.